the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
there are two parts to the work of salvation. I hear today people saying Jesus finished it at the cross. What did Jesus finish at the cross? When we look in the Old Testament, we find the shadow of what happened at the cross. The children of Israel are in bitter bondage. They're beaten. Their babies are murdered. They're having such a painful time, and their voices crying out in earnest to God. He hears their cry. He sends Moses. The plagues fall, first on both the Israelite people, the Jewish people, and also on Pharaoh and the Egyptians to prepare God's people to flee, to make it so miserable for them that they say, I must be redeemed. And then comes the final plague, the death of the eldest son. As the death of the eldest son comes near, God gives the children of Israel a way of escape, the Pesach, the wing of God. We call it the Passover. The Passover literally means the wing of God being extended over. And all of us cry out, O God, extend your wing of mercy over us. Now, what made it a wing of mercy was a Passover lamb was slain and the blood was applied to the doorposts and to the lentil above the door. And as that blood was applied, that house was marked. The destroying angel would not enter that house. We could say a ransom was paid for the eldest son in that house. What did Jesus do at the cross? He ransomed us. He offered himself as a priestly sacrifice, as the lamb, sacrifice for our sins. He paid the price for our disobedience. He ransomed us. But did he redeem us at the cross? The answer is no, he did not. The children of Israel have had the ransom paid. The Passover lamb has died. The blood has been applied. But they're still in prison. They're still slaves of Pharaoh. Would we say that the children of Israel, as they sat in their hovels, being beaten by the Egyptians, would we say they had been redeemed? No. The price has been paid for their redemption. It was a ransom paid. We find in Ephesians, the first chapter, verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. So the earnest was paid. The ransom was paid. That's not enough. 
Now, many today, and perhaps you're one of those, who believe that Jesus did it all at the cross, and that now you still walk in sin. We call those people the sinning Christians. But unfortunately, they've never been redeemed from their sin. And they point to a future time. They say, perhaps when I die, I'll be redeemed from my sin. Not so. The scriptures are very clear. You must be redeemed in now before you die. So the earnest has been paid according to Apostle Paul in the first chapter of Ephesians. But you are not yet redeemed. Now it's interesting. There are two pictures given to us in the book of Revelation, the fifth chapter. The first, we have the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Secondly, we have the Lamb slain, standing on the throne, filled with the Spirit of God. And the Apostle John is weeping because it appears that there is no one who is worthy to open the book. But one of the elders said to John, Stop weeping, John, for the Lion of the tribe of Judah can open the book. What's he saying? He's saying, This lamb has paid the ransom for you. But it's not enough that you should just be ransomed. It's not enough that your past sins should be forgiven you. You must now be redeemed. You must be transformed into a new creature. You must be metamorphosed into a new person. That's redemption. The full redemption comes. The price has been paid. But now we have to have the person of power, the ferocious lion of the tribe of Judah, who can drive the devil from our life, who can establish us in righteousness, who can take the sin out of our hearts, who by faith will give us a place. That's redemption. No one would say that if I go to a slave market in that day and I pay for a slave, you would not say that that slave has been redeemed. No, it's not until that slave is transferred to me that that slave is redeemed. And at that point, he's free. He's not free to go out in the world and pursue whatever he wants to pursue. He's free to obey the new master. We are slaves no matter what we think. We are slaves either of the devil or of the Lord Jesus Christ. But a slave of Jesus Christ is free. In all the best senses, he is free. So we need to draw a very careful distinction between these two words and not confound, confound them, not mix them up. We are redeemed when we are set free and the sin power is broken from our hearts, the addiction is broken from our lives, we are set free. Now, 
on that Passover night as they came up out of Egypt they were joyous because the mighty power of God was now redeeming them and it took some time to redeem them they went straight not the short way the long way not to the Philistine country because God was fearful they would turn back but they went straight according to the word of God and found themselves camped beside the Red Sea. Now, the Egyptians are coming behind them to take them over. Are they redeemed yet? No. It's in process. And then they go into the Red Sea. And we're told in 1 Corinthians that they were baptized with Moses into Moses in the Red Sea as they crossed over they were baptized now when the waters come crashing down on the Egyptians the children of Israel are finally set free they are redeemed if you're still walking in sin against the Almighty God, the ransom price has been paid for you, but you have not been redeemed. If a person says, I'm saved, I ask, what are you saved from, and what are you saved to? If you're saved, you are taken out of sin, or sin is taken out of you, whichever. You're redeemed. Now, we find that this is spoken of, and let me turn quickly to the scriptures. Let me read this for you. Move some books, move some books around and get my Bible in place. First, let me read you the passage about the baptism and what that meant in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, their bodies were scattered in the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord, as some of them did, and they were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did. They were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. 
So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break off a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf. We who are many are one body, for we are partakers of one loaf. So, when a person is ransomed, they're not free. They're still in captivity. They're still in captivity to sin. But when they, when they are baptized, when they come through, they go into that desert. And I'm going to talk about specifically what that looks like. But they go into that desert, and now, if they're faithful to Jesus, they have been redeemed from sin. But if they go back into the sin, and they continue to walk in it, they will die in the desert. I don't want that for any of you. I don't want you to die in the desert. I want you to walk in faith and victory. I want you to celebrate the glorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to walk boldly with him. Now we find in Romans, the sixth chapter, and before we go to that, maybe I should just remind you, you're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I'm so glad you're listening today. We're going into deep water. This is for people who are serious about Jesus. This is for people who really do want to earnestly cry out to Jesus, who want to be saved. The ransom has been paid for all of us. It's available to every human person in the world. But the redemption has not been granted yet. I want you to be fully redeemed, and I want you to sing the song of redemption, the song of Moses. Romans, the sixth chapter. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? This is after you've been ransomed, and then you've been redeemed. Do you continue to sin? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in the death, we certainly also will be united with him in the resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, 
we believe also that we shall live with Christ. Now, that's chapter 6 in the book of Romans. And, and what I want to say to you is this glorious message of salvation is granted unto us first as a ransom at the cross. The blood was shed. The, the sacrifice of the lamb was made. But now comes the wonderful benefit of that ransom, and that is the mighty power of Jesus to redeem you, to change you, to make you into a new person. Now, what I want to show you today is what happens when a person is redeemed. I'm going to share some thoughts with you from a book called Gleanings in Exodus by Arthur W. Pink. Arthur W. Pink. Listen as I share this. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. When God separates a people unto himself, it is not only needful that people should be redeemed with the precious blood and then brought near as purged worshipers, but it's also part of God's wise purpose that they should pass through the wilderness. They cannot enter their inheritance until they've taken the wilderness journey. Now, please hear me. Every Christian will go through the wilderness experience. And let me very carefully today define what that wilderness experience is. But let me first say there is a reason for this. The trials and the testings that come to a new Christian and to we who are older Christians is to utterly reveal any evil, any sin that yet remains in our hearts. He does this in order that we could be humbled before him, that pride could not be hidden in our hearts. It is a matter of sovereign grace to take you through that wilderness experience where you finally begin to understand this work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what I need to say is that trial and humiliation is not the end the Lord desires. Rather, these are only occasions where the Lord can show forth his great mercy. And when we've made mistakes and we've erred in how we have thought and acted, his mercy comes and he forgives us and he heals us and he restores us until finally we confess before him and before people that God has supplied our every need, that he has given us all that was necessary that we might exhibit in our lives the glory of Jesus. 
So Moses brought the children of Israel out of that Red Sea, and they walked for three days in the wilderness of Shur. Now, this is the first time they've really experienced the fullness of what the desert is. Up to that time, they'd only been walking on the edge of the wilderness, and they came to the Red Sea, and that Red Sea literally is talking about our baptism and the resurrection that we go through with Jesus. Now, I want you to understand, the desert is resurrection territory. It is resurrection ground. It's only when the Christian faith lays a hold firmly of this oneness with Jesus in his death and resurrection, and we become a new creature in him. The world then becomes a dreary and desolate wilderness for us. To the natural man, the world offers much that is attractive and alluring. But to the spiritual man or woman, everything he sees is just foolishness to his, to his spirit. We say sometimes, look, everything you see is just labeled to be burned. Nothing we see in this world is permanent. This is not our home. We're just traveling through. It was Jonathan Edwards who, who talked about the journey to heaven. And he talked about when a traveler comes to a, an inn and it's night and he stays the night, he has food and shelter and a pleasant place to rest. But he does not wake up the next morning and say, you know what, I enjoyed this hotel I think I'll just stay here the rest of my life. No, he's on a journey. He doesn't camp out there. He's up early the next morning, and they're on their way, making their way toward their journey end. So, for the Christian, the world is simply a wilderness, barren and desolate. Because the Christian sees through the eyes of Jesus the utter wickedness of the flesh. He would not think of making his home there. It's a place through which every person must journey from time to eternity. In the story of Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, he has to climb the hill of difficulty in his journey. He gets over the hill of difficulty. Then he has to dip down into the valley of humiliation. And then he has to continue on that path. And it takes him through the valley of the shadow of death, where he is tested all the way. And now he has to go through Vanity Fair, where every attraction of the world is going to be thrust at him things that we would not consider bad things. 
buy a house, buy some clothes, do this, do that. No, for the pilgrims, the whole focus is on what do we need to finish the journey? To get to the delectable mountains. What do we need to get to the Jordan? We're on a journey. We're on our way. So Bunyan does not have in Pilgrim's Progress Christian and his partner tarrying, waiting, setting up shop in Vanity Fair. No, it's a pass-through. It's not where his heart is. It's not a place where he settles down to stay forever. So if your inward thoughts are forever on getting your home beautiful, dressing in the right clothes, and every effort is made to prolong your earthly sojourn, and when you get sick, you do all you can to recover, No. We do everything we can to serve Jesus, to walk with him in holiness, to be set apart for the work of the gospel. Now they come to the desert of Shur, and they enter into that desert. Now here's the wondrous thing that begins to happen. At first, the desert seems an utterly desolate place. And the world is a desolate place. But in the world, as we are functioning, called out by Jesus, great joy begins to rise in our hearts as we pursue the work of the gospel, caring for our family and teaching them the way of righteousness caring for other people, loving them, serving them, giving them of our resources that they could be taken care of. As our hearts go out to minister to others, to include them in this journey through a barren land, our hearts rise up in great worship before the Lord God of heaven. Now, they go three days into the desert, And they find absolutely no water. They're they're thirsty. Their livestock is thirsty. And they're beginning to cry out, Why don't we have any water? We're going to die in this wilderness. Well, that's the first lesson. You're not going to die in this wilderness. They cry out to Moses. They should have been crying out to the Lord God of heaven. Now they came to Marah and they couldn't drink the water there because it was bitter. Marah means bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? What are we to drink? The water's bitter. We can't drink it. Our livestock won't drink it. Now I had an interesting experience I want to share with you that I think will be very telling. Just recently on New Year's Eve, I was invited to a very fashionable party 
and I had a number of non-Christian and so-called Christian friends who urged me to come to this New Year's Eve party. The ticket was $145, and I was given one free of charge. And so I decided that, yes, I would go. And so I went to this New Year's Eve party. It was decorated to the hilt. It was gorgeous. We were all given hats to wear and, and things to twirl that made noise, horns to blow. The alcohol was freely flowing. People were talking and laughing, and it was loud. My heart was sad. For me, the party was... It was bitter. There was nothing there for me. I spoke with a few people before they began to consume too much alcohol, and I talked with them about Jesus. I witnessed to them about who Jesus is. I talked with one person who was raised in a very careful Christian home but had rebelled against that home and now has children, and the children aren't being in any way educated about Jesus. This person recounted for me an incident that had just occurred where one of their children, she'd said something to them about Jesus, and this child said, Who's Jesus? And it struck this person in the heart because her child didn't know who Jesus was. This child was being raised as a little pagan with values. Now, as I was at this party, the noise level continued to increase. And about 11.30, it began to reach a fever pitch. We'd had dinner, excellent dinner, but my heart was so broken. I couldn't laugh. I couldn't laugh at their jokes. The music was offensive. It was loud, drum beats. I finally got up and excused myself, told people goodbye. Oh, you can't leave before before midnight. No, I need to leave. And I went out and got in my car and began to drive carefully home. I knew there was only one place where I wanted to greet the new year. And that was on my face before Almighty God. I knew there was no water for me to drink. It was bitter water at Mara. And at that New Year's Eve party, the water was all bitter. I knew it would be. I didn't expect anything different. But I thought that perhaps... I could be with some people that I care deeply about that I'm trying to minister to. 
that I was totally ineffective. I won't go again, needless to say. My heart was sad. I wept as I drove home. The water at Mara is bitter. The water of the world is bitter. You think it's going to be a great night, and some of you go to clubs, and you go here, and you go there. Does it satisfy your soul? I'll tell you now, I know it doesn't. Does alcohol satisfy your soul? Do drugs satisfy your soul? No, they don't. They just numb you and dumb you. They numb you and dumb you. No, opiates aren't the answer either. Fornication's not the answer. Adultery's not the answer. Some of you have tried both, all. And you know in your heart of hearts it left you with bitterness in your mouth. You know when you woke up in the morning with a hangover from the alcohol, you shouldn't have had that. It was death to you. Now part of what happens as we walk through the wilderness is that the Lord allows us to be thirsty so we will earnestly cry out for him. So we will begin to reach out to Almighty God. We will confess any sin that is in our heart. And we will turn with our face toward him, seeking after him with all of our heart. Now what happened? Mara in this barren and desolate place they needed water they couldn't drink the water of Mara and this was a very severe test for them because in their mind I'm sure they thought God delivered us gloriously through the Red Sea. Now he's going to carry us and we're going to have a smooth ride through this wilderness all the way into the promised land. Instead, they found bitter disappointment. Bitter disappointment. Now please, The Christian walk is not what it's advertised as. The Christian journey is through a wilderness, through this world. And we've got to make a full transition so that our only source of nurturance flows out of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, come unto me, all you are thirsty. He said he was the bread of heaven. He said he was the gate. As Christians, we begin to rejoice in Jesus with the knowledge that our sins have been forgiven. We have been made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. Instead of growing discouraged and disappointed because life is hard, we begin to utterly give ourselves into the hand of Jesus 
this wilderness accurately symbolizes this world and the first stage of the journey forecasts the whole journey. Drought and bitterness are all that we can expect in the place that owns not Jesus. How can it be otherwise? Now what happened at Mara They're crying out to the Lord. We find this story in Exodus, the 15th chapter. They're crying out to the Lord. They're grumbling. They're angry. Moses cries out to the Lord. And the Lord shows him a piece of wood. He picks it up and he throws it into the water. And the water becomes sweet. The water becomes sweet. The Lord takes that which is bitter and he turns it into something that is sweet. We've been accustomed to feeding on the devil. But when the ransom is paid, the redemption is provided. We now feed off of Jesus Christ. And it's there that that cross is applied. That piece of wood had been planned many years before. There it was. It was waiting. Moses simply took it, threw it in the water, and the water was sweet. So what is bitterness in the desert for you and for me becomes sweet as honey when the cross is put in it. When we begin to understand that Jesus paid the ransom for us to deliver us from all evil, all wickedness, all bitterness of heart, the ransom was paid and the mighty hand of Jesus now comes to redeem us Now, there is a journey through the wilderness, but that journey, we have the cloud of God above us, God's air conditioning. We have the pillar of fire at night. We have the Shekinah glory of God that now dwells in us. We are filled with the spirit of the living God, and the great joy of our heart rises up because Jesus paid the price and then redeemed us broke the power of sin over our lives released us from prison established us in the faith and the Lord makes a decree a law for them and he tested them this wilderness journey is a test. It uncovers every wicked and evil thing in our hearts. And it gives us the freedom to allow him to break all that is of the darkness from our heart. The world's entertainment becomes disgusting to us. 
the television becomes disgusting to us. Much on the internet becomes disgusting to us. The video games are disgusting. They're violent. They're evil. They're wicked. And we begin to sense that. We know we're being taught by the Word of God and we're being taught by the Holy Spirit. And He's making us holy. We're not just cruising through life enjoying all the things that the devil has provided for us and then going to Jesus and saying, Okay, Jesus, you give me a little too. That's how some of you are operating. Let's be honest. You're getting fed by the devil and you're acting like the devil. And then you're being fed a little bit when you go to church. But the inner man is not touched because you have refused to turn your back on the world and the flesh and the devil. So the Lord tests them. He says, this is the 15th chapter of Exodus, verse 26. If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all of his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. For I am the Lord who heals you. Now, some commentators, if you look them up, they'll say, this has nothing to do with physical healing. Oh, yes, it does. It has everything to do with physical healing. He's saying very clearly, these diseases that you saw me bring on the Egyptians, I'm not going to bring those on you. If you will obey me. Now, they were walking through the wilderness and they were on their way to the promised land. And this is a shadow of our walking in this wilderness. It's a shadow. It's God taking a people and carrying them in his arms. Now, I come to Jesus and I say, Lord, please carry me. Remember, I've shared this before. He gave me three very specific commands. It was in the early hours of the morning. I was up. I was walking in the house. And the Lord spoke. And he said, wait upon the Lord. Well, I've heard that for many years. I know that a very key part of this journey is to wait upon the Lord. Meaning that outside of my control, beyond my ability, he will begin to order things to happen in my life that I will know I did not cause to happen. Good things happen. Developments in my case for outreach and ministry. People responding with, with contributions to fund the radio broadcast. I'm waiting upon the Lord to move forward that we could go in this new year to the FM radio band. I can't make that happen. 
but Jesus can. And all he needs to do is move in one person's heart who has the resources or in hundreds of people's hearts and we'll move from AM to FM. I'm not going to make that happen. I come at the end of every month. I invite you to give in an offertory to cover the cost of that month's radio broadcast. Some of you, I'm very grateful, have already been sending resources. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But as we wait upon the Lord, as we go through this desert, he's the one who is carrying us. And the second command he gave me first was wait upon the Lord. The second one was, and the Lord will carry you through. I'm experiencing that. The Lord is literally carrying me. And then the third part, he said, rest in me, Ray. Well, does he mean rest? He means stop your striving. Trust me. I know what I'm doing. Just trust me. Watch what I'll do for you. If you will obey my commands, if you will leave all sin, if you will renounce the powers of darkness, you will turn off the wicked flow of this world's noise into your heart. The Holy Spirit will begin to speak. He'll say, turn the television off because it's impossible to read the scriptures and not go to sleep if you're watching television. You can't sit down and watch the football game and then open your Bible and spend an hour reading it. You'll go to sleep, I'll guarantee you. You can't walk in the wickedness of the ambitions of this world, lying and cheating, struggling to make it. You can't walk that way in Jesus. So you wait on Jesus and ask, what would you like to do, Jesus? I'm here for you. I'll do whatever you say. Please just open the way and make it plain to me that this is what you want me to do. Now he's carrying you. He's going to do exactly what he's promised. And then resting is relaxing in Jesus. Doing exactly what he tells you, but not fretting, not chafing, not dissatisfied, but walking humbly with Almighty God. Well, we're going to pick this story up tomorrow. There's a lot more to share. I hope today that you understand the difference between being ransomed and being redeemed. Many of you have had a ransom that you understand has been paid for you. And that has been all you have enjoyed. You have not enjoyed the redemption of having the power of sin broken from your life. And you still feast on the devil. The Lord's calling you out. He's saying, come, taste and see. Well, we're out of time for today. I want to pray with you. Almighty God, you are so magnificent. You are so marvelous, Jesus. 
I worship you. Thank you for your love and your kindness and your mercy. Thank you for dying on Calvary for me. I cry out to you, Jesus. Would you save us? Would you save your people? Would you deliver us from every deception of Satan? I pray in your holy name. Amen. I'd love to hear from you. I need to hear from you. If you would write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Also, go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, nationalprayerchapel.com, and I'll talk to you soon. Oh, Lord, we praise and worship and honor you. I thank you for the word you've put in my heart and the people's hearts today. I pray, Jesus, that we will see the victory flow, that we will see men and women who turn to you and are not only re- not only the price of the ransom paid, but fully redeemed, walking in you with courage and hope, knowing that you are our God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. God bless you. I love you. number one source for uplifting and inspirational online videos is godvine.com make your day a little brighter and your relationship with jesus a little closer by visiting godvine.com the number one source for uplifting and inspirational online videos is godvine.com make your day a little brighter and your relationship with jesus a little closer by visiting godvine.com